God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from New Life with campuses in Kearney, North Platte, and Ogallala. Here's Pastor Jeff Baker. John starts right out in chapter 3 just building the case for hope that every follower of Jesus should have a heart full of hope. He says it this way in, John, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He goes, look, see how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. I love that. He starts right out. Now, look. I don't know, if you read like the, uh, the King James Version, it starts out with this word like, behold, like behold, like pay attention to this. Look how very much our Father loves us. He loves us so much that he calls us his children. Now, parents, any parents in the room? Let me see your hands really quick. Okay, there you go. That was your first victory. You still got enough strength on a Sunday morning to put your hand up, right? All right, parents, come on, tell me this. Because I'm a parent, I've got four, I've got grandchildren. Have you ever been in public where your kids did something so embarrassing to you that you just wanted to walk away from them and go, they don't belong to me? But you knew it was illegal to do it, so you didn't. But if it was legal to do it, you would have left them right there and then, right? I mean, we've all had these moments where we were like, those kids, they don't belong to me. Or maybe even in a marriage, sarcastically but not encouraged, you might say, as a husband to a wife, you might go, they're your kids. Have you ever said that? Or moms, have you ever turned to your husband and gone, hey, look, those, that's your kid right there. That's the spitting image of you, right? It's very encouraging, super encouraging. God's not going to be that way towards you. Hope, hope says that, says that this, that God knows us. He knows you, but he still calls you his children. Now, you know you, and you're attempting to know God. Just knowing you this past week, and if you were in God's shoes, would you be proud of you? Or would you kind of be wanting to go, you know, they, they, I don't know those guys. <laughs> like, which, one, which one would it be? Because normally we're more difficult and more or challenging to our own selves, right? But that's not who God is. God says, I know you, and I still call you my, my children. The other thing that I love about the hope that's found in this verse is where in John, he just starts it out in verse 1, and he goes, see how very much our Father loves us. It's not just like, see how much he loves us. It's see how very much. Behold how much he loves you. It, it, guys, it's over the top. I'm just going to say this right now. Few people in this room, few people listening at any of our campuses truly grasp or have understood how very much God loves us. We think we have, but we have not, right? And I'm going to tell you right now, it's like a journey throughout our lives of discovering how much God loves us until one day we stand before him. One day we do. And that's what John, he goes on and he goes, look, let me tell you about a mysterious hope. This is a mysterious hope that you get to hang on to for our future. And he drops right into, into verse 2. And he says, Dear children, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And John starts giving us this hope that, look, this body that we have, this body gets to stay here 
and one day we're with Christ with a new body. Come on, somebody. You need to lose that 20 pounds? It's coming. It may not be coming the way you think it's coming, but one day it's coming, right? You want, you want full range of motion on that shoulder that's all jacked up? It's coming, right? Right? Sickness that's in our body, something, whatever it is, is trying to eat you alive. I'm telling you right now, one day this body is gone, and the hope is we have a new one. But he goes beyond the new body. Because I'm just going to tell you right now, that is so secondary to what he was really trying to say. What he was really trying to say was this. One day, you will see Jesus for who he really is. Wow. Wow. Has anybody watched any of The Chosen at all? Okay, I, I've been watching uh, season one. I just started. I, I'm a little embarrassed about that um, as your pastor, but um, I, I do want you to know I have watched all of season one. I can't tell you how many times I cried. I can't tell you how many times I laughed, okay? But I, I haven't watched it all these years, and can I just confess for a minute? And the reason why I haven't done it is because most Christian TV and movies have been too cheesy for my liking, so I haven't done it. And I kind of judged it from a distance. I've been loving it. I've been loving it. And you know what I love about it? They're, they're doing a fantastic job of creating the imagination for me of maybe just how, the, how Jesus maybe responded in some real life stuff. And I love that. I love what's going on, right? I, I get it. It's not, just, it's not going down through the New Testament verse by verse by verse, but it's giving you kind of this, like, they're taking the license to try to, like, weave in the reality of our emotions and our being. And I just, I love how they're trying to help me see Jesus. But I'm telling you right now, it's not going to hit it 100%. The only way it's going to hit it 100% is when we stand before Christ and we see him for who he really is. Amen? And that's the hope we hang on to, church. That's the hope. Then John turns around and he says this. He goes, I want you to know about a hope that has a supernatural power for your life. And he says it right in verse 3, the very next verse, when he says this. And all who have this, what? Eager expectation. Can we insert the word hope for a second? And all who have this hope will what? Keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Do you see this? There is this building on hope. First, I want you to know, hey, God loves you very much and he calls you his children. Secondly, I want you to know that there's something beyond this life that you should have hope for. And then thirdly, he goes, if you hang on to this hope, if you grasp it, if you wrap your arms around it, if you're excited about it, if you let it penetrate into your heart, it's not just a hope that makes you feel fuzzy and good, but it's a hope that produces righteousness. It's a hope that produces a life that can live pure before God. It's like a secret weapon. That's what he tells us. So how important is it to hang on to the hope that we have in Christ? Without it, you can't live for him. That's how important it is. When you lose that, you lose the gift of God that is like the fuel to live for him. Because let's admit it, we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a world that we have a lot of challenges. We live in a world that is stretching us. We live in, in a world that's got problems, it's got struggles. It has temptations all around it. Hope is getting tested all the time, isn't it? Your hope bucket isn't it hard sometimes to keep the hope bucket full? 
Yes, of course it is. Why? Because you get one phone call about one bad thing, then you turn your TV on, you see another bad thing, and then you get a Facebook post about another bad thing. It's like no matter where I go, it feels like the world is crushing in around me, whether it's your problem, or it's our problem, or it's our nation's problem, or it's the world's problem. And this is the world we live in, so to keep the hope bucket full is a challenge. But I would also say this, it's one of God's themes. One of God's themes that you see throughout Scripture is this, that hope, hope followed by a challenge. You see that from God all the time. Hope gets followed by a challenge. Watch this. Go all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Here's the hope. Hey, I built this for you. It's perfect. It's awesome. There's no imperfections in it at all. In fact, I get to come and walk among you. Hope. Here's the challenge. Don't eat of that tree. You follow me on that? Noah. Hey, Noah, the world is full of sin. I'm going to flood the whole world, but here's what's going to happen. I'm going to save you and your family. Hope. Ah, that's awesome, God. I'm glad you're going to do that. Here's the challenge. I want you to build a very, very, very large ship that's never been built before in a place where it's really never rained. That's a challenge. Hey, children of Israel, I know you're in captivity in Egypt, and you've been enslaved by Pharaoh, and you guys have been treated horribly like the trash of the earth, but I'm going to deliver you. There is the hope. Oh, thank you, God. And then he actually follows through, and he does it for them. And then they start walking away from Pharaoh, only to end up right on the edge of the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army coming crashing down on them. The challenge. The woman caught in adultery in the New Testament. And the Pharisees, dragging this woman to her death, run into Jesus. Jesus intervenes, and when it's all said and done, here's the hope. Woman, where are those who are accusing you? They're not here. Oh, here's more hope. I don't accuse you either. Oh, awesome. Here's the challenge. Now go and sin no more. Hope followed by a challenge. And the same thing is going to happen with you, and it's going to happen with me. Right? That's why John, in the very next few verses, he starts driving this idea of the challenge that's now coming to us. It's not a challenge that's going to erode our hope. It's the hope that we have that's going to help us overcome the challenge. But the challenge is very unique. Okay? The challenge deals with you, you calling yourself a Christian, but actually living the life of a Christ follower. Have you ever, have you ever had a boss that just kept telling you, hey, you're good. Man, you're amazing. No one does the job better than you. And then the next week they got you in your office and they're firing you. And you're like, what? I thought you, you always said I was good. Why are you letting me go now? Because we're one thing one way and one day and we're another thing another day. Have you ever had a friend? A friend that just built you up and told you how amazing and how great you were that all, only to discover that behind your back they were telling a whole other story? Right. That's because we are fickle in our humanity Right? We, we, start, we start out on one course, but we have a very hard time maintaining it, and it brings pain, and it causes confusion, and many times we think that's the way God is. We think that that's the way God is, but hope tells us something different. Hope tells us that God will never be that way, that God will never, ever tell you, hey, well done, good and faithful servant, and then the day you stand before him in judgment, he throws you into hell. That's not who our God is. That's not how he functions. He's not one way one day and another the next day. He doesn't lie to you while you're here on earth telling you how good you are and then punish you when you stand before him, when you actually see him for who he really is. 
That's not who our God is. God's not one who tells you while you're here on earth, good job. And then when you're not listening, when you don't know what he's saying, he's talking bad about you to his angels that stand around the throne. That's not who our God is. So if it's not who our God is, then he expects us to not be that way. He expects us to say in church on Sunday, I'm a Christian, and he expects us to say on Wednesday, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what he expects, right? So God expects us to stay true to who we say that we are. And that's why God's word helps us then, the whole word, it helps us to live the life of a follower of Jesus Christ, which means that God's word kind of acts like a mirror to us. Right, you remember when you woke up this morning and you looked into the mirror? Aren't you thankful that you had that mirror? I'm going to tell you right now, many of us are thankful that you had it. We're thankful that you looked into the mirror and you realized that your hair that was going, that you were like, you fixed it, okay? We're, we're thankful that the drool that came out of your mouth all night long that left a big white spot along your cheek, you saw that and you wiped it off. We're thankful, and for a whole list of other things that I choose not to get into, right? We're all thankful and you're thankful too. God's word is a mirror to you. And when you read it, when you read it to evaluate it, God, what is it that you're trying to say? When you read it to apply it, God, how is it that you want me to put this into practice in my life? When you read it with the lens of, God, what is your spirit trying to say? God's word acts like a mirror. You may not like what you see. It may challenge you at times. It may leave you feeling a little uncomfortable at times. Right? But in the end, it's because he's trying to make you into an image, the image of Christ. That's why God's word is built that way. And that's why we, when we read God's word and we go through it, we should evaluate that way. Why? Because of the very challenge that John is bringing to us right now. And the challenge is this. Are you who you say you are? Are you who you say you are? Listen to how he brings that challenge in verses 7 through 10. He says this, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people, right, follow me here. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep sinning because they are children of God. Watch verse 10 here. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love others does not belong to God. It's an incredible challenge to say that you are a Christian and then to live a Christ-like life. God says here, look, here's, you can have all the hope you want, but if you don't live righteous for me, you got nothing. That's really what is being driven home here. If you lack righteousness, purity, and repentance, then you're just lying to yourself. I think he drives home this. Here's the real, here's the real challenge. You, you can't call yourself a Christian and deliberately and habitually keep on sinning. Now, please, hear what I just said. None of us are perfect. We're going to sin. The point that God's making here in his word is when we deliberately and habitually. When sin has become a normal in your life and it's somewhat okay with you. He goes, that's not good. You're on a slippery slope to death. And I'm afraid that Christianity in America has in many sects and in many different 
ideas and in the mindsets of many people, they have integrated a life of sin into Christianity and assumed that it's okay with God. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not okay with God. God challenges us. He goes, look, I gave you the hope that you can have in Christ that can sustain you and purify you, but you've put your hope in something else and you've allowed now this deliberate habitual sin to come into your life and it's suffocating you and it's destroying you. So that's why in verse 9, he goes, let me give you the solution to all of this. And if you remember it, if you have your Bible, it said in verse 9 that those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. Well, here's the reason why. Because God's life is in them. His life is in them. Now, you think about this for a minute. You have a little bit of life from your parents in you. You have a little bit of life from your grandparents in you. My kids have a little bit of life from me in them, like it or not. It's called genetics. My genes, not these genes, but my genes internally, right? My makeup, it's in my children. The genes get passed from generation to generation. It defines the nature and their characteristics many times. My children, they, they look like Kim and I because of our genes, the genetic passing on. I look a little bit like my mom and my dad because of the genes that got passed on. My, my kids, right, they have certain behaviors about them and mannerisms about them, like it or not, like it or not, Baker kids. You can change your last name, but you cannot take the genes out of the kid, right? And they have some of the mannerisms of Kim and I. That also means that they have some of the health issues, both good and bad, of Kim and I. And that I have some of the genetics of my grandparents, both good and bad, like it or not. And now it's your choice whether you're going to accentuate those, right, for the good ones, or you're going to bring down the ones that are more destructive, And guys, look, if this is true in God's creation, how much truer is it between God and those he calls his children? What it means is this. It means this. Here's the challenge. Do do you want to live the life of a Christ follower? Then you've got to take on the genetics of Christ. But here's our problem. Our pride is really what keeps us from wanting to look like our parents. It's our pride. Remember when you were young? It's my pride that kept me from wanting to look like them. I wanted to dress different than them. I wanted to act different than them. I wanted to talk different than them. And we all know it doesn't last forever. You start to see them because of the genes. But the problem is when it comes to God, our fear, our fear is what's keeping us from boldly looking like God. And let me tell you what happens when you let that fear keep you from, in this world, boldly looking like God. Here's what happens. If looking like God is something that you're worried about, then your lifestyle will never take on its characteristics. If you're trying to look like God when you're here on a Sunday or when you're in your life group, but out in the world you're not trying to look like him, then here's what's going to happen to your life. You're not going to take on the characteristics, the nature of God. It's going to escape you. You might want it, but what's happening is because of your fear, I don't want anybody to really think I'm a fanatic for Jesus. I don't want anybody to you know, really know that I'm a really passionate follower of Jesus because you're, you're keeping that kind of locked up or siloed, right? Like here's like a part of what you do in your life, but here's the rest of your life. Then it's, it's keeping you from seeing the genetics of Christ being lived out in your life. 
If you're feel, fearful of being known as a follower of Jesus, then you'll never be consistent in following him. If you're fearful of this. So here's the solution. The solution comes down to this. Repent of the fear. Get honest. Get real. Repent of the fear. Maybe you need to repent of being ashamed to be known as a follower of Jesus. I get it. But man, the darker this world gets and the more this world hates the truth, the more they're going to hate a follower of Jesus. And the temptation of Christians is going to be this, to somehow kind of like blend in with the world while trying to maintain this Christianity. And I'm telling you right now, it's impossible. You can't both blend in and hang on to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This world doesn't look anything like the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be repulsive about it. You don't have to be bombastic about it. You don't have to be combative about it. You can do it with love. You can. It's a choice. But you can't both blend in like the world and be a, be a Christ follower. That's impossible. So repent of being ashamed to be identified as a Jesus follower. Here's another one. Repent of wanting people to like you more than they like the Jesus in you. Wow. That gets close to home. But lastly, maybe you just want to ask for God's life to fill you. That's what I would encourage you to do. God, fill me. Fill me with your life, meaning fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your boldness. Fill me with your courage. Make me willing to obey you. So this really kind of brings me now to this kind of an idea that's been stirring in my heart. As the farther I get in my walk with the Lord, the more I think I'm beginning to see something that I've never seen before. I don't, I don't know that we really have, as our primary issue, a sin behavioral issue. I think that's the out the outward. I think we look at each other and we see the sin nature in our behavior, and it's easy to judge that. I think what's behind all of that is that we have a sin identity issue. And it's our sin identity issue that's driving our sinful behavior issue. Our fear, like this, our fear of being labeled as a Jesus follower becomes the fuel then that drives our sinful behavior. My identity, I'm fearful of being identified with Christ in some level, shape, fashion, or form, and that actually becomes a fuel that then allows me, gives me the license then to live a life that is nothing like a Christ follower. You see what I'm saying here? And if we fix the identity problem, then what we do is we start to address the behavioral issue. But many times what we try to do is we try to change the behavior without adjusting or changing the identity. And our big issue is this. Am I confident and secure outside of the church to be identified as a follower of Jesus? Because the more comfortable you are to be identified as a follower of Jesus, watch what happens. You start living the life. The genetics of Christ start coming out in your life. The behavior starts to change. Stop trying to change the behavior and start addressing the identity issue. That I'm secure and I'm confident 
that I belong to Christ, and no matter where I am or who I'm with, Jesus is my Lord, he is my leader, I love him, I'm in love with Jesus, I'm passionate in my following of Jesus. In fact, I'm so passionate, I don't want to keep it to myself, but I want to help others come and follow Jesus as well. You fix that, and you start to fix the behavioral issue. Are you following me with this? All right, this is good news, by the way. This might be the very answer some of you have been looking for. Some of you, I think, have been over here in this behavioral thing going, I don't know why I can't stop this. I don't know why I can't crush this. I don't know why this thing seems like it's controlling me. And I'm suggesting to you maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe the right question is, are you proud to be identified as a Christ follower? Is Jesus enough for you? And start leaning in right there. Well, then John does this for us, all right? Let's, let's wrap this up. John turns the corner and he goes, hey, by the way, let me help you identify if you've got the genetics of Jesus being displayed in your life. I just want to help you identify that. So he jumps in on verse 14 and he says this, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. He drives home this idea and he goes, look, your love for other believers, when, when you show the love of Jesus one to another, then what you're seeing right there is the, the genetics of Jesus being lived out in your life. How encouraging is that? That just with one simple thing, showing love to another believer, the genetics of Jesus are being lived out in your life. You can see that Jesus, his life is in you just by one simple little thing. Do you show love just to other believers? We're not, talking, we're not talking to strangers on the streets right now. We're just talking people that are sitting here in your auditoriums listening to this word right now. That people are called new lifers, part of the new life family. He goes, look, when you show love to them, that is simple, and you can see the genetics of Jesus being lived out. But then he takes it to a deeper level. And in verses 16 through 19, he says this. Here's how else you can know that the, the genetics of Jesus are being lived out in your life. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Okay, you took it to a new level, but that's one of them. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? There's another example. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so we will be confident when we stand before God. There's a third one. So here's, here's what he drives home. He goes, look, when, when, when your selfishness decreases, guess what you're really seeing? The genetics of Jesus increase. When, you're, when the needs of others starts to drive your compassion when you start seeing the needs of others and compassion starts welling up within your heart, guess what you're seeing? You're seeing the genetics of Jesus increasing in your life. Here's another one. He goes, look, when you see generosity increasing in your life, you're not just seeing generosity increase. You're seeing the genetics of Jesus increase. And when you see your faith moving from a me-centered faith to an others-centered faith, then you're seeing the genetics of Jesus increasing in your life. So, what's the solve here? How do we say that we are Christians and actually live it? How do we present ourselves with what we say we are that we actually are? Here's a couple of suggestions for you. Number one, serve. Like here at New Life, we believe that everyone has a gift to share. We encourage people to use that gift. 
when you use that gift, then you are displaying the genetics of Jesus in your life. The more you serve, the more the genetics of Jesus are being displayed through your life. And that means this, the more you're becoming like Jesus. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Jeff Baker at New Life. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.